morning and welcome this Memorial Day. Um, uh, if, if you've been f- with us uh, the last month or so, we've been going through the book of Ezekiel, and I actually had planned on teaching Ezekiel chapter 16 today, and there's uh, 63 verses in that, and I decided 63 verses all at once was a display of how uh, crazy I might be, and so I shifted gears. And uh, this morning we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, I think this is a, is a chapter that really fits Memorial Day. Um, in this chapter, God is going to, he's going he's gonna to reveal himself to Moses in a way uh, that he's not yet revealed himself to people, um, and he's going to say, "He's going to say, I'm going to." He gives us his memorial name. He says, "This is my memorial name. This is what I want you to remember me by." Is this name? Um, and so on Memorial Day, what we celebrate, you know, Veterans Day celebrates uh, people who have come down of the armed forces and and they they've come out of it with their lives and they've served faithfully our country. Uh, armed Services Day was actually last week, um, and that celebrates and rem- and and acknowledges the people who serve us right now. Memorial Day is about those who have given their lives um, in service to this country. I did a little research this morning. Over the course of our, our, our nation, thir- over, excuse me, 1.3 million, over 1.3 million people have given their lives uh, in wars that have taken place uh, in, the, in, the, in, the country, in the history of our nation. Uh, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people laying down their lives for freedom um, so, that, so that we can, as Josh was saying, can, we, we have the life that we have here. We have the ability to speak out and uh, believe what we believe. We have the ability to gather and worship. Uh, what we're doing here, uh, this, we, we just sort of take it for granted. But if you get on the news uh, and read about things that are going on in China and in the Middle East, you'll find that this is not allowed a lot of places. Um, and so people have laid down their lives so that we can enjoy Enjoy that kind of freedom. Now, what God is going to remind Moses of, uh, and, and He's actually going to point him towards rem- point him towards what Christ is going to do eventually, um, it is, is we're going to see that God is willing to give to us in that same way. God is willing to give to us so that we can enjoy freedom the same way that men and women have laid down their lives. God is willing to lay down His in that same way. Uh, one of my favorite generals of uh, U.S. history, now if you're not a U.S. history person and you don't care, that's all right. I like Doug- Douglas MacArthur, General Douglas MacArthur, and he said, No man is entitled to the blessings of freedom unless he be vigilant in its preservation. No man is entitled to the blessings of freedom unless he be vigilant in its preservation. Now, this is certainly true within our nation, right? There have been people that have, uh, they have given everything uh, to enjoy the freedom that we have. The word vigilant, it means to be on guard. It means like, like you're watching out for the things that could steal freedom, and you do everything it takes to be on guard against those. Now, this is certainly true of, what, of our nation, but it's also true of if you're, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is also true in your spiritual walk. That you should be vigilant, you should be diligent to look out for the things that would steal the freedom that Christ has purchased for you. Now, as we go through this, what we're going to find is that God is going to reveal his character to Moses in a new way. Um, and it, it's, it's not totally new. It's consistent with who he's revealed himself to be, but he's going to show, him some new, he's going to show Moses some new things. Now, as we go through this, what we want to do is we, we want to realize that we never want to forget the one and only God who made me. Uh, he knows me. He guides me. He's gracious to me. He loves me, and he's faithful to me. But... The way that we approach God is really important. What we believe about God may be actually the most important thing about us. And left to ourselves, humans tend to fall into three errors in our thinking about God. We tend to assume that God is like us. 
in our approach to God, we have a tendency to assume that he's like me. Uh, he's going to have similar tendencies to me. He's going to kind of view life and the world and everything the same as me. And then what we do is we then create a God that's reduced. So the second thing we tend to do is we, we, we tend to reduce God to measurable and controllable terms. We, we think he's like us. And then we say, you know, I need God to fit inside this little box so that I can control him. I don't want him to actually be in control of me. I'd rather be in control of him. And then the third thing we do is we tend to overlook the obvious way God has revealed himself to us. Um, and the, the, the three major ways that God has revealed himself to us, one is through nature. Uh, the scriptures reveal that God has revealed his divine attributes through creation, that he has shown us who he is through creation. And so you can get an idea of who God is by looking at this world. You look at the way that it's put together and the way that it's ordered and the way that it doesn't fall apart. Uh, that's kind of a miracle all, all by itself. And you, you can see that there's a creator. And God has revealed himself in that way. And you can kind of get to know him that way. But then he goes further. And the, the second way that he, he reveals himself, and in a much bigger way, is he does it through the revelation of the scriptures, through his word. And so God makes himself known through the scriptures. He doesn't have to do this, but he chooses to make himself known to us. And then the third, and the biggest way that God has revealed himself to us, is through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. God became man, and he revealed exactly what he is like through the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what we tend to do is we tend to say, God, you're probably like me, and I need to put you in a box, and, and we tend to ignore the ways that God has revealed himself to us. Now, what God is going to do here with Moses, if you don't know the story of Moses, right? So Moses, he's, he's born a, a Hebrew uh, in Egypt, and uh, there's a, there's the, the Pharaoh decides that he's going to get rid of the, the newborn sons in the land, uh, all of the Hebrews, and so he gets put in a basket, goes down the Nile, and he ends up in the royal family, long story short. So he gets raised in the royal family in Egypt, and he reaches a point in his life where he realizes that this people that he, he came from, uh, they're being mistreated. And he sees, he, he's, he's walking out, and he's a prince of Egypt, and he sees what's going on, and he sees one of the, one of the Egyptian uh, guards beating a Hebrew, and he steps up, and he ends up killing this guy, right? And he, and he shows in this that he recognizes what's wrong, and he wants to help this group of people. So he reaches a point where he goes, I want to help this group of people, and he kills this Egyptian guard. Well, word gets back um, that that's what took place, and Moses ends up basically running out of Egypt with his tail between his legs. He wanted to do what is right. He wanted to help this people. He tried to do it in his own strength, and it backfired on him, and he ends up leaving with his tail between his legs. And then he spends a time in the Sinai Peninsula where he's, uh, he's a shepherd. And God reveals himself to Moses as he's shepherding sheep out there in the Sinai Peninsula. And it's at that point that God tells Moses that he has a plan for him. And that's where we are here, is that God has revealed himself to Moses, and now he's going to say, I have a plan and a purpose for you. And that's where we get into this. Um, and so uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 10 says this, Therefore... Now come, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. So what had happened with the people of Israel, uh, you have Abraham, and, and Abraham has descendants, uh, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Jacob ends up actually in Egypt. There's famine in the land where they're, where they're at there in, in, uh, in Israel, and they end up in Egypt for food, um, and then they stay there, and then they, they end up in captivity. And then it ends up, this population of these, this little tribe of people grows and grows and grows to probably about a million people at this point in time. Um, but they've been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. And 
God realizes, well, God knew all along, but the people are realizing we want out of this, and God is going to act. And so that's what we have here. He looks at Moses, and he says, I've got a mission for you. And he gives Moses a mission that's, frankly, a daunting one. He kind of pictured it looking like this. He says, Moses, I want you to head over to probably the most powerful man on earth, the Pharaoh, and tell him to let the Hebrew slaves free. Then you're going to bring a million or so people out of the fertile land of Egypt into the Sinai Peninsula, this desert, and then eventually into a land that's already inhabited by another group of people where you're going to have to conquer that land. Oh, and by the way, these million or so people, they won't be very good at listening or trusting. Have fun. <laughs> So Moses gets this put before him. And so the point is that I want you to see here is that God calls you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God calls you to move on his behalf to do things that are much bigger than what we are capable of. God has plans for you in your life to do things on his behalf that are way bigger than what you're capable of. Furthermore, if our focus is on the wrong thing, we'll find God's call in our life overwhelming. And there's two things that tend to stop us in what God puts in front of us. First, we, tend, we look at ourselves um, and we only see our shortcomings. And second is that we assume that others only know our shortcomings as well. We have a tendency to look at ourselves and go, but I, I know all the places I've messed up. And I'm guessing everybody else knows all the places I've messed up. There's no way I could do this. And ultimately, what we have is we have an identity problem. We, we, we look at ourselves and we go, I, I, there's no way I could do this, God. There's no way I could live up to what you're calling me to. And that's what Moses responds with. His first thing he responds with um, is we, we, he sees his shortcomings. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? I I'm not capable of this. Now, I'm sure all of you in the room are perfect and never mess up, but that's not the case for me. Um, I love the Lord and I long to follow him closely, but I also find that I haven't figured out how to do that perfectly yet. What's worst is my past is checkered with dumb moments and hurtful actions and words and self-centered motives. I'm pretty good at dwelling on those errors if you leave me to myself. I'm sure none of you can identify with that, but I'll go on anyway. Moses was the same. Moses had tried to do the very thing that God, was gonna, that God had asked him to do in verse 10. He says, I want you to go free my people. I want you to go and get the sons of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses is going, I tried that once. And it didn't work. You want me to do that? I don't have the ability to do that. All I can remember is the one time, I mean, I wanted to do the right thing. And I tried to do the right thing. And I failed at it. I wanted to help these people, and I wanted to, I saw that that was probably what you wanted too, God, and so I took steps to do it in my own strength, and I failed. It totally backfired. Maybe you can identify with that in your own life. You look at your own life, and you go, I wanted to do what you're saying here, God. I see this purpose you put in front of me, and I, and I tried it, and I, I, I couldn't do it. I, I'm not good enough, God. 
The good news is God is bigger than our fear and doubt. Verse 12, God guarantees his power and wisdom through his presence. Verse 12, and he said, and certainly I will be with you, and this shall be a sign to you uh, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought, when you brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. He says, I will be with you, and this will be a sign that I have sent you. You're going to succeed. God's plan to overcome our shortcomings, it, it, you know, what, what is it? What is God's plan to overcome our, our, our shortcomings? Go grab the latest self-help book. Eat right, sleep well, exercise, do what makes you happy. Nope, doesn't say that. And it's not that you shouldn't do those things. I mean, there's nothing wrong. You should eat right. You should sleep well, exercise. Uh, but that's not God's plan. It's not the latest self-help book. Help, self-help book. God's plan to work through us is not self-improvement, but his presence. He goes with us and provides all that we need to do what he's called us to do. That is a God I want to follow and trust. Think about that. God doesn't look at you and say, hey, I have, I, have this, uh, I have this really huge thing for you. It's beyond what you're capable of. And you've probably even tried it before and failed. But I want you to, you know, try again really hard. If you could just try again really hard, then maybe you'd get it right this time. He doesn't say that to Moses. He doesn't say, I need you to try again really hard. He says, I'm going to be with you. And this is the sign to you, that the sign to you that I have sent you is you're going to succeed. You're going to bring the people out of Israel and you're going to come right back to the same place where I'm talking to you, which is thousands of miles, hundreds of miles away uh, from Egypt. And, and you're going to worship me at this mountain. You're going to have my presence. You're going to have my power. You're going to have my, 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 uh, my wisdom. And you're going to succeed. Not because you tried really hard, but because I'm going to be with you. What I put before you, you will accomplish. And when all is said and done, you'll be in awe of my power and faithfulness, and then you'll worship. Ultimately, that's what leads us to worship. Is we've, we've lived with God. We've experienced what Jesus Christ does in our life. We've experienced the transformation. You know what it is and how you failed in your own efforts before. And you know what it is to then enjoy God's presence and move with his presence. And then you succeed. And then you find yourself in a place where you go, I cannot believe that I'm with you. And you worship. That's what worship is about. And come and sing songs on a Sunday morning, or for me, it's probably more like driving in the car all by myself. But that's when I find myself worshiping, as I remember what, what I used to be. I remember how Jesus Christ has transformed me, how his presence has been with me, and he's brought me to a, a place of succeeding in life, in things that I could never do on my own. And then I go, wow, I'm with you. But there are the times when we get overwhelmed with what others think or what they might think. And that's what Moses says in verse 13. He, he tends to only think of, we only hear others' criticism. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and what, what, what will I say to them? 
The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they will say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Moses is going, <laughs> remember, remember me, the mess up, the guy that tried this before? These people are going to remember me. At least some of them are going to remember me. Hopefully they don't because they'll just know my mistakes. But they're probably going to remember me. And when I go to them, they're going to say, who are you to say that we should do this? They're going to, they're going to look at me and, and I know my failures and probably they'll figure them out too. And they won't, they won't listen. What will others say, God? What authority do I have to go and tell these people to follow me? And what we see here is that failure in the past has a tendency to make us think uh, what others, uh, has a tendency to make us think others always see the parts of us that God is still working on. We have a tendency to see our failures and go, well, other people must know them. God hasn't quite brought me all the way here on these things. And so they're just going to know my shortcomings because that's what I see. And what we have is we have an identity problem. We base our identity on things that, we, uh, that we've messed up at. We base our identity on the performance that we have done in the past. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says that's not your identity. That's what God's going to tell Moses here in just a second. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says that's not your identity. Your identity isn't the failures from the past. Your identity isn't the failure you had yesterday. It's not the one you had this morning. That's not your identity. Your identity is something totally different because you're mine. And because the cross of Jesus Christ has dealt with all of that. And that's what we see in verse 14. That God graciously reveals his uniqueness and his holiness to us. God doesn't have to show us who he is, but he chooses to. God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moses says, what authority do I have to go and do this? And God says, you tell them that I am who I am has sent you. And he's like, we hear that and we go, what does that mean? What does I am who I am mean? He's, he's asking God, what, what, can I, what can I call you? When I go to these people, what can I call you to say that, that, that they'll listen to? And God basically says, you know what? I got nothing and nobody to compare myself to. There's nothing and nobody like me. I am who I am. There's no other creator. There's no other, there's no other eternal one. There's no other, uh, there's no other God. I've got nothing to compare myself to. So you just go tell them that I am who I am has sent you. And, I, and you don't get to compare me to anything else because I'm like nothing else. And out of my grace, I want you to know me. And out of my grace, I want my people to know me. But I've got nothing to compare myself to. And then what he's saying, Moses, Moses, you go and tell them, the one and only, one of a kind, that nothing even kind of like him, I am who I am, has sent you. Don't worry about who you used to be. You are mine now. There's nothing and nobody like me. You'll soon see, and so will they. Just trust me and what I'm capable of. Never mind what you think about yourself. Focus on me. 
And this is the power of relationship with God, the one and only, one of a kind, nothing and nobody even to compare him to. God of the universe says, I'm with you, your mind, and we're going to win. So he's telling Moses, I'm with you, you're mine, there's nobody like me, we're going to win. And then, he, and then he tells Moses, he, I've shown this to you and my people before, I'm gonna, you can count on me. I've done it before, I'll do it again. And so in verse 15 what God does is he wants to gear us to remember his love and his faithfulness. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord God, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Joseph, Joseph has sent, excuse me, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial name to all generations. It says, basically what God is saying here, he's saying, Moses, you tell them, and don't forget it yourself, that the same God who fulfilled promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is going to act again. I'm going to accomplish this action through you, Moses, but I'm going to act. Remember my love and my faithfulness from times past and expect me to act in line with who I've shown myself to be. Remember my love and my faithfulness from times past and expect me to act in line with who I've shown myself to be. And this is the trick. This is the trick to the whole thing. Is God says, I get it. You think you're your failures. I get it. You think you're your mistakes. I get it. You think you're all the negative thoughts that you have about yourself. And I'm not trying to coach you towards positive thinking about yourself. I'm trying to coach you and guide you towards positive thinking about me. Because I love you. Because I care about you. Because I know the crazy difficult thing I've put in your life for you to walk through. And I'm with you. I know it. I know the whole story. I know it from, from, from inception to finish. I know the parts of the story that you haven't even experienced yet. And I'm with you. And you're mine. And we're going to win. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so to, to Moses, he says, remember Abraham, remember Isaac, remember Jacob. To us, we could say, remember Moses. Remember what God did with Moses. Remember how he took this guy who, who fought in his own strength. He was a prince of Egypt and he had all the education and he had all the power. And he, had, he, had, he had everything. And he tried to do it in his own strength and it failed. And he ran away with his tail between his legs. I can't do it. I don't have what it takes. And he goes and he hides in a shepherd's tent somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And God goes and finds him there and he says, I know your heart. I know you want what's good. I know you want what's right. And you thought you could do it on your own. And you found out you couldn't. This time, we're going together. Yeah. 
This time, uh, we're going to go over there, and God is going to do some things that are crazy in Egypt. He's going to bring the plagues, and he's going he's to part the Red Sea, and these people are going to move, and then they're going to find themselves in this peninsula, and, and, and the Sinai Peninsula, and, and there's no food, and God's going to feed them, and he's going to guide them with his presence, and he's going to continue to display his character and his love and his faithfulness, even when they're tremendously unfaithful. They do, God does this amazing thing and draws these people out, and the first thing they do when they find themselves alone is they go worship some other false god, and God says, I'm going to be faithful. And he moves and he creates this nation. And Moses doesn't get to see the promised land, but the next guy does. And the people move into the promised land and they take possession of it. And God is faithful and they win because he's with them. And then they go through a period of time where the people, it's just back and forth between trying our own strength and failing and God reminding us that we need him. And we're trying our own strength and we fail and God reminds us that we need him. And then they have a period of kings, of great kings, and, and they see this flourishing that takes place as one of these kings, in particular David, really, really loves and, and wants God's heart. And there's this flourishing. But then that flourishing ends because the people move away from God again. They, they, they don't succeed again because they've, they've left their relationship with God. And throughout all of this, there's this pointing to this time when a Savior will come. There's, God shows these people different things. He, he institutes this sacrificial song, right? We sang a sacrificial uh, system. And we sang a song just a minute ago or 20 minutes ago, whatever it was, when we said, hallelujah, the lamb has overcome. And so they took this, they would take a lamb and the lamb, they placed their head on the lamb and, and the lamb was, was a substitute for them. And the lamb was a, this picture of Christ who would ultimately show up and take away their sin. And so what the people learned was, was when, when we trust God and we follow him, we succeed, but, but we can't do it on our own. And we've tried and we've tried and we've failed and we've failed. And when we trust God, we succeed, but we're not very good at this. And so God points to this relationship that he's going to bring through Jesus Christ. And so to you, he's saying, remember Jesus. Remember how God has worked through Jesus Christ. Remember how uh, the, the ultimate sacrifice was paid. And this one and only, one-of-a-kind God, nobody else like him, who made you, loves you, uh, knows everything about you, and longs to make you his child and give you a new identity, he decided... In eternity past, that he would reconcile you to him, that he would do it, that it wouldn't be about your efforts, that it wouldn't be about your work, that it wouldn't be about what you could do. Because if there's anything to learn from the, from the books of the Old Testament, it's that we could never do it on our own. And so he says to us, remember how I've acted in my love and my faithfulness in times past through my son Jesus and how he went to the cross and he dealt with your sin once and for all and he paid it. And he rose from the dead and he gave you new life. And so I don't know what it is in your Christian life where you're going, this thing is too big, God. This thing you put in my life, it's too big. I know some of you are going through different things with your health and you might think this is too big. For Becky and I, we've experienced the, the, what it is to have our family double. And, and we've experienced what it is to, we, we, have, we have three children that are natural born and, and all of a sudden our family doubles and, and we think this is, this is clearly right in front of us and God has put this right in front of us and we should do this. And there are times where we try and do it in our own strength and it, it's not good. 
But what God has shown us again and again and again is that when we trust Him and we remember that He's promised to be with us, all of a sudden, it's different. All of a sudden, there's love that I don't have. All of a sudden, there's patience that I don't have. All of a sudden, there's... It's just different. So I don't know what it is that God has put in your life that's way bigger than you can handle. I remember when God put that in front of us and all of a sudden there's three boys and they, it's clear they need a home. And God had given us time to be prepared and ready for that. But when it was in our lap, I went, I can't do this. This is too big for me. And he went, yep. <laughs> That's the point. That's the point. You trust me. That's the point. You, you remember what I have done in the past in your life. And you remember how I've shaped you and molded you and transformed you and how I'm not done yet. What you think about God, it shapes your whole relationship with him. This is on your handout. It's a quote from Chip Ingram. What you think about God shapes your whole relationship with him. In addition, what you believe about God determines how close you will grow toward him. What I want you to hear this morning is that God has shown over and over and over and over again that his power and his presence is everything we need. He has shown over and over and over and over again his love and his faithfulness don't give up. He's shown over and over and over again that he wants you in relationship with him. And he's shown over and over and over again that when he is with you, you win. Whatever that big thing is in front of you, that daunting, overwhelming, crazy, crushing thing, he's promised and shown over and over and over again he's with you And because he's there, you'll win. That victory might be long, it might be hard. That victory might be a decade away. But he's shown it again and again and again that that's who he is. What you think about God shapes your whole relationship with him. In addition, what you believe about God, or what, you, what you believe God thinks about you, determines how close you will grow toward him. If you think God just wants you to try harder, it's going to be rough. Because he, he's not looking for you to figure it out on your own. He's not saying go buy the latest self-help book. He's not saying get all your ducks in an order. 
He's saying, I want you to just trust me. And whatever this thing is that I put in front of you today, I want you to trust me the best that you can and we'll walk through it together. I have no idea what any day is going to hold. Uh, and, and, and the greatest example of this to me probably in the last year was when Cora got appendicitis. And I, I mean, you don't know that's coming. You have no idea. Just all of a sudden your little girl's in the hospital. And that's, you talk about overwhelming, right? That's huge. And I understand medicine's awesome and appendicitis isn't as big a deal as it used to be. But when my little girl's whimpering, it's everything. And I remember thinking, I don't know what God's going to put in front of me. I have no idea. But whatever it is, I can trust him. And that whatever he brings about is a win. Because that's who he is. What you think about God shapes your whole relationship with him. In addition, what you believe about what you believe God thinks about you determines how close you will grow toward Him. And He's He loves you a lot. He wants you to succeed, and He doesn't want you to try it on your own. To know God for who He really is, we must search the Scriptures and ultimately examine the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God has made Himself known. Remember the truth of his character and kindness towards you. Nothing is better and no one is more fulfilling to know and follow than Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, you are good. You are kind. You are so much more than we deserve. Just even the fact that you've chosen to make yourself known to us, hard as that might have been, nothing to compare yourself to, you've chosen to make yourself known to us. And you've remained faithful to us. You, you, you know our shortcomings. You know my shortcomings. You know, you know the places where I seek self-centeredness more than I seek you. And you're faithful. You're patient. And little by little, you conform me to your image. And so, God, on Memorial Day, uh, it, it is good to remember the freedoms that we have in this nation because there are those who are willing to give their lives for it. And that's a great thing. But even greater, God, is that you laid your, your life down so that we could experience a freedom far bigger than America. We could experience a freedom far bigger than uh, the ability to pursue what we want. You've given us enough freedom to change and, and, and trust and learn what it is to pursue what you want. That's the ultimate freedom, not to pursue what I want but to learn to pursue you and your will. And so Jesus Christ, that's what we remember. We remember that you laid down your life so that I could know you, I could pursue you, and I could pursue the things that you say are good. That's freedom, and you've given it to us. May we remember that in Jesus' name, amen.